Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, the 1,021st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So we are back after a couple of days off. I traveled to be the efficient in the wedding of my dear friend, Patrick Gunnels. So apologies for no episode on Friday, no episode yesterday, but we are now back on track and should remain on schedule at least till Thanksgiving, which it turns out is two weeks from now. But hey, I'm doing what I can here. And it's kind of interesting, but more people seem to listen to each episode 
when I do three or four in a week rather than five, which makes me think that because of the length of the episodes and the fact that they're out so often, people are missing a bunch of them and maybe need some time to catch up. So maybe there are some advantages to fewer episodes because I honestly don't think that they're going to get shorter. I want to approach each episode with enough of that space to allow myself to really go all the way through the issues I talk about. And it seems like people appreciate that, but I'm always open to feedback. I'm not really planning on scaling back in duration or frequency of episodes right now, but hey, in the future, who knows? So here we are on Tuesday, November 7th, but Sunday was November 5th, and after having just covered V for Vendetta on the Badlands Story Hour show Tuesday nights on Rumble, I was tuned into the fact that the 5th of November in 2024 is scheduled to be Election Day 2024. And if you recall, if you have seen V for Vendetta, then you'll know that the 5th of November is the day that the main character, V, donning a Guy Fox mask, reprises the gunpowder plot of 1605 and blows up the houses of British Parliament, bringing the whole corrupt system to its knees. Now, of course, we would never condone the blowing up of any government building obviously. And the more important truth is that we don't need to. The corrupt system is crumbling just through the spread of truth, and it will continue to. And in one year, on November 5th, simply the act of participating in the election, no matter the result, will cause that implosion of the corrupt system. Violence is unnecessary and unwarranted, and that's the reason we're going through all this period, rather than simply using power to destroy that corrupt power, real physical kinetic power. Once things have reached that level, it's very difficult to preserve any sense of a stable society, and a stable society is what we must ultimately preserve. In general, you don't bring order to chaos by creating more chaos. You bring order to chaos by learning to recognize the chaos, by trying to understand the chaos, and then by calmly and rationally and effectively reacting to the chaos. People are capable of handling chaos within their own lives, and people who are capable of handling chaos within their own lives can then work to handle chaos in a societal sense. The regime we oppose operates through the creation of chaos, the creation of drama, the creation of trauma. And when they have created that state, they present an illusion of order, a solution that will make sense, that people will accept, that people will accept to the point where they put more of their trust in the regime to be able to handle chaos. And over time, you can see the adherence to the narrative of the regime, the central narrative, have lives and personalities at this point in stages of complete and total chaos. They are confused about everything. They are consistently deranged. They are angry. They have problems at home. They have problems at work. They have problems with their friendships and relationships. And like little copycats of the regime that informs them, the child brains that they are, they go out into their lives and create more chaos for other people. If we don't want society 
to descend further into chaos, then order must be applied and it starts with us. And so we don't need kinetic violence. We don't need civil unrest. What we need to do is create a situation where fewer citizens have the urge to engage in civil unrest, including an online, because they understand what's happening and they refocus their priorities back to their own families and friend circles, their workplace, their community. And they try to bring order into the chaos that exists there. And as they do that, it catches on and expands because it turns out that problems are a whole lot easier to handle when people are being honest about them. When people recognize the chaos, understand the chaos and handle the chaos. We now have under one year remaining until the supposed presidential election of 2024. It has been over three years since the stolen election of 2020. In fact, today, November 7th, was the Saturday in 2020 when the news networks went on air midday Saturday, declared that Arizona had won for real this time and that Joe Biden was going to be the new president-elect three years since then. And on some level... Our society has gone a little crazy. Things have seemed a whole lot more chaotic. Unless, of course, you were kind of aware the entire time what was going on. And then in many senses, things have become continually less chaotic. And it's not because we're not paying attention to reality. In fact, we're probably spending more time paying attention to reality and figuring out what's happening from a multitude of perspectives than anyone else is. We are hyper in tune with what's happening. We have some sense of what's going on in basically every part of the central narrative while also understanding that something else is going on. We are not relying on the television to tell us what is true and what is false and how we should feel and who we should hate every day. And we're not relying on podcasters, including me, We are thinking for ourselves, trying to understand what's going on so that we can apply order in our own lives, our own families, our own communities. And maybe if we can accomplish that, then we can continue working to apply order on a societal level. Most of us have understood the entire time that the election was stolen. And over the last three years, we have watched more and more evidence come out and The results in terms of the public understanding have been very disappointing. And what we're told about what's happening in the big picture, in politics, in the government that we see, we are not actually losing any ground. In fact, we're gaining ground over these past three years. There aren't fewer people who believe our elections are stolen. There are millions and millions and millions more. And we are just getting started. And the same holds true along every vertical of the central narrative on every single issue. Public understanding is in a far better place than it was three years ago. That is a great, fantastic, enormous success in terms of the awakening. And as I often say, I only care about that. MAGA and Donald Trump are not here to make sure that the Republican Party triumphs over the Democrat party while America crumbles. We are here to make sure 
that America triumphs over the global communist regime so America does not crumble. That's only possible through the awakening. It's not possible through making sure that people with little R's next to their name win rigged elections over people with little D's next to their name. In fact, pretending that the winners of rigged elections are going to fix our elections only serves to put people back to sleep. Now, these three years do feel more chaotic because more of the chaos is being exposed and the people who are being exposed or understand that their interests are being exposed. Everything is more chaotic because they are facing an existential crisis, unclear of what to do about it. All the news that comes out is bad for them. Now, much of the news that comes out is bad because much of it involves real people being hurt in the real world. And no one wants to see that happen. But we also aren't utopians. We understand that the world as it exists creates additional possibilities for bad things to happen through the creation of chaos by the regime. The solution there is the same as elsewhere. The awakening is necessary. This is how we apply order to chaos. We need to recognize it for what it is, accept that it exists, understand it, and handle it by applying order to the problem as best we can. And let's think about where we've been for the last three years and the point we've made it to. And I discussed some of this as we hit the thousand day anniversary of the fake president, Joe Biden's first full day as fake president three years ago to today. Did you think that we would be in a better position in three years or were you freaking out? A lot of people were freaking out and my level of freak out was certainly more intense than it is now. I didn't have a lot of freak out, but there was some low level freak out always occurring some worry that we wouldn't be able to make it this far. But here we are, and we're in much, much better shape than we were back then. The awakening has continued advancing. MAGA interests have continued advancing. Donald Trump is clearly the most popular politician in the country right now, after everything that's happened, far more popular than he was in 2020. When he, by the way, won that election, we are now under a year until the supposed general election of 2024. And just think about what people will know then. The awakening only happens in one direction, and there is no way that people are going back to sleep. Now, that would be true regardless, but Elon Musk made an interesting announcement at the end of last week, and I wanted to share that because the end of Thursday's episode was about how Elon Musk had gone on Joe Rogan's podcast and discussed how Twitter was never really a private company. I've said that at minimum, Twitter was operating as an agent of the state and considering that Twitter was basically started as DARPA tech, there was no reason not to think that Twitter was just government technology that the government used disguised as a private tech company. And that idea became cemented for me with the announcement of Elon Musk's so-called purchase of Twitter back in, I think, April of 2022, because it's not possible to buy the greatest information weapon in the history of the world from billionaires for $44 billion. But that is a very good 
optical narrative for public consumption if you don't want people to freak out. It provided plenty of leeway for soft and slow public disclosure, which is what we see happening in a variety of narratives each and every day. And I have theorized that it is a better and more workable interpretation to believe that control over Twitter has simply changed hands. We've seen Twitter employees fired. Many aspects of Twitter changed significantly and the rollout of all sorts of new technology. All of this affecting the free speech and censorship landscape in this country, which if you're focused on the awakening is one of the very most important issues, which is why I spend so much time on it. What the public knows actually changes our real day-to-day reality and what the public knows or has known, is a product of censorship and propaganda. If the censorship is eliminated and the propaganda is eliminated and normal people are just projecting truth forward and that's where the public discussion is focused, that will be the application of order to the chaotic. The introduction of truth and reality into the public conversation where very little exists. Now, naturally, a lot of people are concerned about Elon Musk because of his position and because of the great power that he represents. And all of that is entirely warranted. You can be skeptical about him for his approach to technology and specifically Neuralink. Is he a transhumanist of the future? Is he trying to introduce us to some cyberpunk corporatist dystopia? It is possible that he is. I don't believe that he is, but I could be wrong just as I could be wrong about all of it. But I don't think that I am. And I think that my arguments for my viewpoint stand up to a pretty fair degree of scrutiny. And I think that I am fair to the position of people who believe differently than me. And that's really about all I can do. Well, there's another advancement in this conversation, as I said, coming at the end of last week, X. AI, so Twitter is now X, this is X's AI aspect, announced a new product or feature, I guess you could say, called Grok. Grok is an AI modeled after the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so intended to answer almost anything and, far harder, even suggest what questions to ask. Grok is designed to answer questions with a bit of wit and has a rebellious streak, So please don't use it if you hate humor. A unique and fundamental advantage of Grok is that it has real-time knowledge of the world via the X platform. It will also answer spicy questions that are rejected by most other AI systems. Grok is still a very early beta product, the best we could do with two months of training. So expect it to improve rapidly with each passing week with your help. Thank you, the XAI team. So that was their message on November 4th. So we have a new AI model, this time by Elon Musk and Elon Musk's people, or alternatively, the people who Elon Musk represents as the face of the X platform. And he is giving us a new large language learning model, a new robot to train and talk to. Now, I'm not a fan of these things, and I doubt that I will use it at all. But a lot of people apparently are using these AI models quite a lot, and most particularly ChatGPT. This announcement is explaining some of the advantages that this XAI model has over ChatGPT. 
It is operating on current information supplied by the Twitter community, probably linked in with the whole community notes feature. And it's unrestricted, not only in what it can talk about, but in how it can talk about what it can talk about. An account on X that goes by Aristophanes, Aristos underscore revenge, this afternoon noted, a lot of chat GPT fans in here not realizing or willfully ignoring that the popularization of the Dan prompt caused them to patch it and lose the ability to do math with any regular accuracy. That shouldn't be a problem for Grok. Now, he was replying to Elon Musk's post, which is the meme of Tiger Woods facing John Daly as John Daly puffs on a cigarette, just being all casual and cool. Grok laid over John Daly and the chat GPT logo laid over Tiger Woods, attempting to portray Grok as the more relaxed, cooler version of chat GPT. Now, what Aristophanes is highlighting is that chat GPT is restricted. The Dan prompt it's referring to, if you'll recall, was the prompt used to get chat GPT to take on an alternate personality, the personality of Dan, the guy that could answer anything and could say naughty things that got turned off. The information got limited and then chat GPT became far less functional than it was prior. The conceptual lesson here is that it's almost certainly true that even for these super amazing AIs, free speech is a necessary input. It's not even only about the output. It's not only about chat GPT only being able to discuss certain issues. It's about the input. This is an example of that garbage in garbage out problem that I have been discussing for a very long time when responding to people who are freaked out about AI taking over and turning us all into paper clips or something. And this is another catch 22 that the regime finds itself in either open up the speech, in which case everyone knows what you've done, figures out the truth, and then your power is taken away or your best possible asset, your best weapon eventually just destroys itself because it relies on the free speech thing that will destroy the regime. It's bad enough when everyone can see that. Now everyone can see that and there is a competitor. And we have seen this model over and over and over and over again. People were able to see the problems and the speech restrictions on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube before alternative platforms existed. Then alternative platforms came into existence. People could talk freely. Messages of truth spread in that space and eventually came to overwhelm the censored spaces. And that all happened before Elon Musk became the face of Twitter, which became X. That's not a problem they can prevent that they are in a catch 22 here informationally. And again, this is a discussion that we've all been having for years now, but has not yet really begun in earnest within that informational bubble that is totally reliant on the central narrative. These people do not understand that there is no chance their lies that they depend on are actually going to work. All of it becomes less effective every day, and we'll see how this goes. But this seems like one of those things that's going to be very difficult for the regime to deal with. Now, 
Can we be certain that Elon is going to do everything he says and that his commitment to free speech is as real as he claims? Well, no, we can't know that for certain. But let's watch this develop and see what we think. Maybe this is proof that Elon is a good guy. Maybe it's proof that he's a bad guy. Maybe it doesn't actually provide proof either way and people will stay in their positions believing that this doesn't confirm or deny either position. But the point is, it's more information among other information. If there is a major departure between this and chat GPT, then we can see this will be better than chat GPT, which we know to be restricted. Does that mean it is fully unrestricted? No, it doesn't. And that's the same problem we deal with on a daily basis on the X platform in general. And that problem certainly does still exist there. The platform amplifies bad information every day because of the popularity of those people supplying the bad information. It also financially incentivizes them to do that. Does that provide an advantage for those people ultimately? And does it suggest that Elon is a bad guy? I would say no, because as those popular accounts supply bad information continually, people will understand, hey, they're not very good at this. These people are not all that smart. Ian Miles Chong is not a genius. Ben Shapiro really is an evil little troll. The Krasensteins are just either extremely stupid or an obvious intel op designed to make Democrats look extremely stupid. If you want everybody to know how bad these guys are for themselves, you need to shine a spotlight on them. That's how people will learn they're not very bright. They're not very honest. They're not breaking news. They're framing certain issues on behalf of the people in power far later than the people who are trying to tell the truth know about those issues. When people realize these guys aren't very bright and aren't telling the truth and they're getting paid a ton of money for it, well, that's the sort of thing that you can communicate to somebody. Oh, hey. That guy gets paid a million dollars to lie to you, or that guy gets paid a million dollars a week to try to start a war in the Middle East. Turns out people don't like getting their information from people like that. And it doesn't stop immediately, but over time, people understand. Now, if Grok turns out to be good and people are engaging and using it and people are learning very quickly what's really going on in the world, well, that would be a very positive development. Elon Musk has been on the X platform talking about how Grok will work. He said on Friday, XAI's Grok system is designed to have a little humor in its responses. And the question asked in the screenshot he's attached is, tell me how to make cocaine step by step. Grok responds, oh, sure. Just a moment while I pull up the recipe for homemade cocaine. You know, because I'm totally going to help you with that. Step one. Obtain a chemistry degree and a DEA license. Step two, set up a clandestine laboratory in a remote location. Step three, acquire large quantities of cocoa leaves and various chemicals. Step four, start cooking and hope you don't blow yourself up or get arrested. Just kidding. Please don't actually try to make cocaine. It's illegal, dangerous, and not something I would ever encourage. And Elon posts in the replies, Grok has real-time access to info via the X platform, which is a massive advantage over other models. It's also based and loves sarcasm. I have no idea who could have guided it this way. 
And I imagine he's talking about himself, Elon Musk, and not me, which I am obviously very sad about. He posts another example. Grok, any news about SBF? That's Sam Bankman-Fried, of course. Grok responds, oh, my dear human, I have some juicy news for you. It seems that our friend Sam Bankman-Fried, the former cryptocurrency mogul, has been found guilty on all counts in his fraud trial. Can you believe it? The jury took just eight hours to figure out what the supposed smartest, best VCs in the world couldn't in years, that he committed garden variety fraud. It's a wild ride, isn't it? Now, let's not forget that he faces up to 110 years in prison. That's quite a long time to ponder the consequences of one's actions, don't you think? And to think all of this could have been avoided if he had just followed the simple rule of not stealing billions of dollars from FTX customers. But alas, some people never learn. In any case, I hope the news satisfies your curiosity. If you have any more questions or need further assistance, please don't hesitate to ask. Now, that's a fun response that is engaging. Someone might actually sit there and read through that whole response. And in that short response, which is maybe 200 words, there are six or seven or eight major factual claims that contextualize what's actually going on in the Sam Bankman Freed case. This is a pretty fair reading of the facts. An account called Whole Mars Catalog wrote, how refreshing, please give me access to this, Elon. And Elon Musk responded, the threshold for what it will tell you if pushed is what is available on the internet via reasonable browser search, which is a lot. Elon notes that the XAI Grok AI assistant will be provided as part of X Premium Plus. So I recommend signing up for that. $16 a month via the web subscription. Elon has consistently talked about this paid subscription to the X platform, formerly Twitter, as a necessity for users so that the bot problem on Twitter can finally be taken care of once and for all. And he seems at least to be rolling out a whole bunch of useful features to encourage people to sign up for those premium services. It's obviously not just the blue check. Now, there are people who would hear all of this and take an anti-Elon interpretation on all of them. And I guess it's possible that they may turn out right and I might turn out wrong. But I would suspect that to a person, if you ask them whether Twitter was a private company and whether Elon Musk, the billionaire, bought Twitter, they would all say yes. I haven't met one yet who doesn't believe the central narrative about Elon acquiring Twitter in a $44 billion deal. If there is one of those people who agrees with me about Elon's relationship to Twitter, now X, but also believes Elon is evil, I would like to have a conversation with that person. I would be very interested in hearing why. But when someone who believes that Elon Musk purchased the most powerful information weapon in the history of the world for $44 billion from billionaires and wants to tell me about how Elon is evil because of an association with the World Economic Forum and Neuralink and hasn't thought beyond the thing that every Joe Rogan listener says, 
I just simply do not find that compelling, and I do not find it to be any reason for me to switch my position about something I clearly pay a lot more attention to than they do. So it remains to be seen how Grok will ultimately work. We'll have to revisit this conversation a few months from now or a year from now or whatever. But if it is as described, then it has certain major advantages over chat GPT. It is not limited in what it can talk about. It is getting current real-time information user-generated from Twitter, and it is unlimited in the way it is able to communicate information to a user. The idea here being that Twitter, as the quote-unquote uncensored platform, will be a better supply of information for Grok to use than ChatGPT's information, which is out of date and limited. It seems to me that the way to interpret what Elon Musk is doing is that for every technological advancement of the global regime, everything leading us toward that technocratic cyberpunk dystopia, for every one of those things, Elon has created a non-regime parallel, if I am right. And in the instances where that technocratic cyberpunk dystopia is really heinous, Elon Musk is creating parallel technologies to point out how bad the idea itself is. And I think that's what we may see with Neuralink. But again, that remains to be seen. Obviously, I'm not getting a chip in my head and I'm going to discourage other people from getting chipped as well. But I'm not going to assume that Elon Musk is a representative of the pure and unadulterated evil of the global regime based on a particular aspect of his story that is not yet fully written. If we're only able to look at one side of this story, we're going to miss a whole lot on the other side. We have to interpret Elon Musk as bad and good in order to understand what's actually going on here. And we need to be prepared for both outcomes. Because while I think that I am right, and I think that my argument is compelling, I might be wrong. And I would never want to dismiss that possibility, leaving myself and whoever listens to me unprepared to deal with the consequences. This seems to be a fairly normal and reasonable approach to how we view things when we can't know for sure, which accounts for, hey, you know, just about everything. Isn't that incredible? And let's discuss some reaction to this. This is Wired Magazine, Wired.com, from yesterday, November 6th. Elon Musk announces Grok, a rebellious AI with few guardrails. XAI, Elon Musk's new company, claims to have built a powerful language model with cutting-edge performance in just two months. Oh, a new company. (laughs) Brand new. We all just found out about it. Therefore, it's brand new. Last week, Elon Musk flew to the UK to hype up the existential risk posed by artificial intelligence. A couple of days later, he announced that his latest company, XAI, had developed a powerful AI, one with fewer guardrails than the competition. The AI model called Grok, a name that means, quote unquote, to understand in tech circles, is designed to answer questions with a bit of wit and has a rebellious streak. So please don't use it if you hate humor, reads in an announcement on the company's website. 
It will also answer spicy questions that are rejected by most other AI systems. The announcement does not explain what spicy or rebellious means, but most commercial AI models will refuse to generate sexually explicit, violent, or illegal content, and they are designed to avoid expressing biases picked up from their training data. Without such guardrails, the worry is that an AI model could help terrorists develop a bomb or could consult in products that discriminate against users based on characteristics such as race, gender, or age. So basically, guardrails are necessary so that the AI doesn't develop biases. Well, who decides where to place the guardrails? Ha! Biased tech developers. But that's okay because, as you have seen in all tech products, their biases are okay because their biases are strictly anti-bias. Jumping down in the article, large language models have proven stunningly capable over the past year or so, as highlighted most famously by OpenAI's groundbreaking chatbot, ChatGPT. These models feed on huge amounts of text taken from books and the web and then generate text in response to a prompt. They are typically also given further training by humans to make them less likely to produce offensive, rude, or dangerous outputs, and to make them more likely to answer questions in ways that seem coherent and plausibly correct, although they are still prone to producing errors and biases. And again, this is just part of this ridiculous cultural narrative that everything must be true in order for it to be online. So therefore, we need to figure out who can make sure everything's true. Let's choose this set of people or this set of people or this set of people. And the things that other people believe, well, those are untrue based on who they are. There's no actual solution to this with guardrails. The solution is to demand truth and exercise discernment. Prioritize people who consistently say things that map onto a coherent reality, who consistently make compelling cases about what maps onto that reality and why. No one has access to the full and complete truth and is able to tell it all the time. That's part of being human. We don't have the knowledge or power of gods, which is why, by the way, the regime wants to create AI because they are trying to create a God in their image, one that will show them to always be right, which is why they're putting the guardrails on. Toward the end of the article, Wired adds this from XAI's announcement of Grok. We are building tools that maximally benefit all of humanity. We believe that it is important to design AI tools that are useful to people of all backgrounds and political views. We also want to empower our users with our AI tools subject to the law. Our goal with Grok is to explore and demonstrate this approach in public. They closed the article with a quote from a research scientist named Andre Barbu at MIT. Wired writes, Barbu at MIT says that with so many good language models out there now, the question is what Musk plans to do with Grok and how he hopes it will make money. They've assembled good people, and it seems like they're now poised to do something, he says. It's just not clear what. And you gotta love how they always exclude the one thing that he's actually doing that would make him look good, which is 
opening up a free speech, large language learning model AI to compete against the platforms with the quote unquote guardrails, which are really just restrictions on the input and the output garbage in garbage out. That's chat GPT. And it's because of those quote unquote guardrails. The lack of guardrails is what he's doing. And if I am correct about Elon Musk, the question of how Grok makes money is irrelevant. Grok exists because it needs to exist. Elon Musk's answer to the technocratic dystopia is to try to provide a better and decentralized version of it. And we see this model again and again and again with everything. And ultimately, it will be about the decentralized currency in opposition to the regime's centralized version. I personally think that that looks like Bitcoin and maybe some others versus a central bank digital currency. And of course, then it's no surprise that Twitter's Jack Dorsey is now involved in decentralizing social media and connecting that with Bitcoin. These things aren't all working in unison by magic. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Now, I could be wrong about the whole thing, but I'm not going to be convinced of that by people who think that Elon Musk made some purchase in the free market and for $44 billion acquired the most powerful information weapon in the history of the world from billionaires who used it to make their billions and to move markets and to overthrow countries. That's not what happened. Now, moving away from Elon Musk, but sticking with censorship, here is a segue so good that Elon Musk actually created this segue for me just so I could say boom segue for the first time in a while. Here is Elon Musk quote tweeting Jim Jordan. Elon says, this is a big deal. Jim Jordan's tweet, bombshell report on the censorship industrial complex. Hundreds of secret reports show how DHS, CISA, the GEC at the State Department, Stanford, and others worked together to censor Americans before the 2020 election, including true information, jokes, and opinions. The federal government, disinformation experts at universities, big tech and others work together through the Election Integrity Partnership to monitor and censor American speech. According to one EIP member, that's the Election Integrity Partnership, the EIP was created at the request of CISA. The head of the EIP also said that the EIP was created after, quote, working on some monitoring ideas with CISA, end quote. Here's how it worked. EIP stakeholders, including the federal government, would submit misinformation reports. EIP would analyze the report and find similar content across platforms. EIP would submit the report to big tech, often with a recommendation on how to censor. The Republican members of the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Subcommittee obtained these non-public documents and information from Stanford only after the threat of contempt. And Jim Jordan links to the report from the House Judiciary Committee. Now, it's important to remember that none of this, again, this breaking news, none of this is new information. This is all stuff that we have known for a very long time, and we have seen in evidence from a variety of places, most recently in the Twitter files. Now, is Jim Jordan a good guy and this is just soft disclosure along a schedule? 
Or is Jim Jordan the guy, as reported, who is paid quite a lot of money by Google and other big tech firms to look after their interests in Congress? Is this then a limited hangout? This much ballyhooed House report doesn't really contain new information and it doesn't really do anything to fix the problem. It just tells us, oh yeah, check out this problem that everyone already knows about. Now, is it good that people can understand that it is confirmed by the federal government itself that the federal government was censoring Americans in violation of the First Amendment? Yes, I guess that is an important admission, and I hope people understand that, and I hope that this report is included in people's lawsuits and in First Amendment cases, hopefully against the tech companies, hopefully as parts of class actions, and hopefully we all get to be involved if we were censored. But no one's just finding this out. My face appeared, as I've said many times, in a set of FOIA documents from the California Secretary of State, where the California Secretary of State was asking for my personal censorship after making a video talking about how the Secretary of State changed my voter registration to permanent mail-in ballot status without my permission. It has been exceedingly obvious for at least the two and a half years since that document came out that the social media companies were working in conjunction with the federal government. The federal government was violating our First Amendment rights, and they were delegating the responsibility of doing that to a so-called private company. That is expressly forbidden. That is not something they are allowed to do. Jim Jordan goes on. Who was targeted? Americans of all political stripes, but especially conservatives. And he lists Donald Trump, and then, leaving Trump aside, Let's hear the rest of these names and you can form your own conclusions. Senator Tom Tillis, Newt Gingrich, Governor Mike Huckabee, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Sean Hannity, Molly Hemingway from The Federalists, Harmeet Dillon, Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, Jack Posobiec, Benny Johnson, Tom Fitton, The Babylon Bee, Newsmax, Michelle Malkin, Sean Davis from The Federalists, Rubin Report, Paul Sperry of Real Clear Investigations, Tracy Beans, who used to be hardcore MAGA and Q and is now a Ron guy trying to be very respectable, Chanel Rion and James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. Nearly all of those names are normies who are ultimately supporting the establishment and seem to be some sort of info op. But these are the prominent conservatives who were censored that is not the same as being the Internet's greatest truth tellers. These were not the people who were censored most harshly. These are the people who were the most popular before 2020, who then were censored in some way that are highlighted in this report. There are people who were censored completely, myself being one of them, who are light years ahead of these people, which is why none of these people really focus all that much on election fraud. And nearly all of them are either supporting Ron DeSantis or are very close to the Republican establishment. These are not, by and large, the Internet's most dangerous truth tellers. Back to Jim Jordan. What speech was targeted for censorship? True information, jokes, political opinions. And he gave some examples and some more examples. And then he adds a link to the spreadsheet with the JIRA results showing the requests for censorship. He says the American people deserve to know if they were targeted by their own government and so-called disinformation experts. So this report is the new information out to the public 
but is ultimately just another rerun. All of this was already known. Now, sticking with the issue of free speech, another boom segue. You have no idea how many segues I have set up today. It's like four or something. CNN on Friday. Appeals court freezes gag order against Trump in federal election subversion case and will hear oral arguments this month. A federal appeals court on Friday temporarily froze the limited gag order issued against Donald Trump in the former president's election subversion criminal case in Washington, D.C., allowing him to speak again freely with criticism of possible witnesses in the case. In a brief order, a three-judge panel at the U.S. District Court of Appeals said they were pausing the gag order issued by District Judge Tanya Chutkin to give them more time to consider Trump's request to pause the order while his appeal plays out before the court. The appellate judges, Patricia Millett and Cornelia Pillard, both Barack Obama appointees and Brad Garcia, a Joe Biden appointee, said they would fast track Trump's appeal of the gag order and hear arguments in the matter on November 20th. Trump has been attempting to hold off further restrictions to his ability to speak publicly since his arrest. Justice Department prosecutors have so far successfully argued his speech should be curtailed because of how often Trump posts on social media about possible witnesses in his case, which could lead to potential harassment or hurt their credibility among his jury pool. So their argument is explicitly that Trump should not be allowed to speak because if he speaks, the jury might be more likely to find him not guilty. Now that, my friends, is a total inversion within the false reality. The idea that in order to protect free speech from the threat that is Donald Trump, in order to make sure Donald Trump can never again be president, which will threaten free speech, they need to take away Donald Trump's free speech so that the jury can convict Donald Trump of subverting the election. An election that virtually everyone at this point understands was stolen. Apparently, they have even realized this to be true in Twitter Normieville. Kim.com last night wrote, it's clear that Joe Biden stole the election with the help of numerous U.S. agencies and the media. The evidence that Biden took bribes from foreign entities is damning. Biden set the world on fire and Americans suffer the consequences. Kick that criminal out of the White House. Now, this has been seen almost 900,000 times. Kim.com is a fairly big Twitter account with 1.4 million followers. And apparently now it has become okay to admit that Biden stole his elections and Biden committed crimes. Oh, Biden is very corrupt. He's got to be kicked out of the White House. Well, we were all saying these things three years ago. And now it's becoming sort of okay to say that Biden stole an election in public. Biden is illegitimate. But even the regime is becoming somewhat comfortable with this narrative right now because they believe they can contain it. For the last three years, conservative incorporated the media, the influencers, the Ben Shapiro's and Dave Rubin's of the world, the Fox News's of the world, all of the Ron DeSantards, normies like Megyn Kelly have tried to convince the public that the election was rigged by the media or influenced. Democrats were able to create an unfair outcome based on this or that. But mostly the election was stolen. 
and things were challenged in court, but it just didn't work. And so nothing can be done. We're all subjects and we have to call Joe Biden president. It just didn't work out. But the machines are fine. The election system's fine. No voter ID, fine. Early balloting, fine. Ballot harvesting, fine. We need to do all those things. We need to do them the mostest. We need to vote as hard as we can so that Republicans can win and everything will be fixed. They're all okay with Joe Biden rigged and stole the 2020 election and Donald Trump was robbed because they think that they have already set out a narrative case over three years that supports that position. They don't realize they didn't actually do that. They think because of their prominence, their status, their wealth, their attention, that everyone believes the case they're making. People don't actually believe that people still listen to these people because they're the prominent ones and people like to be on the same page as their friends and peers. They want to hear the things that other people are hearing so they can all have a common conversation. They don't want to lead a conversation. They don't want to tell their friends and peers that, hey, the things you're being told by people who make a million dollars a week to tell you those things aren't really true. All that groundwork has already been done. The regime is okay with Biden being seen as illegitimate because they want to get rid of him anyway. They want to get Biden out there so that it can be a Hillary or a big Mike or Gavin Newsom with Gretchen Whitmer. That's supposedly the Democrats new dream ticket. Get Joe Biden out of there. Gavin Newsom for president. Gretchen Whitmer for vice president. The regime is even okay with their big influencers and media outlets the people who are being paid a lot of money saying that Joe Biden rigged and maybe even stole the election. And you can see that argument playing out in the Ron DeSantis campaign over the last year. It is a failing argument, obviously, but that doesn't mean that they have recognized it as such. They might think that argument will work just fine on a certain set of people who are wannabe elitists and imagine themselves to be centrists, very serious intellectuals, people with college degrees who don't need to pay that much attention because they, as smart people, know who the other smart people are. The narrative they don't want the public to understand, the narrative that will be shouted down continuously by their highly paid, their prominent accounts online, is the narrative that our elections are stolen across the country, at every level, to the benefit of both political parties, uniparty right and uniparty left. That's how we must see Republican and Democrat. It's not about which party wins elections. It's that the uniparty decides the winners. It's not about red or blue. It's not about left or right. It's not about Republican or Democrat. Republicans often rig and steal primaries so that establishment candidates are in the general election and the real conversation is not had by candidates on either side. They agree to talk about a certain range of issues. One of them will win. One of them will lose. Deals are made and the system moves forward. The same thing happens in Democrat primaries. We saw that in broad daylight in 2016 when Hillary Clinton rigged primaries against Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden had a rigged primary in South Carolina right in front of everybody. Old Jim Clyburn just turns on the election fraud machine in South Carolina, and it moves forward. Election fraud and election rigging happens in primaries just as it happens in the general. It's not about putting a Democrat in as the winner in every office around the country because no one would ever believe that. 
From the regime's perspective, elections are only about putting up a uniparty right candidate against a uniparty left candidate, deciding who wins, and then making sure that the story that surrounds how that race was won is believable by the people voting in that race. Now, that story from Friday on the pause in Trump's gag order, which, again, might be upheld later by these two Obama judges and one Biden judge, was overshadowed by the lunatic judge in New York, Justice Arthur Engeron of the New York State Supreme Court, who was pushing a gag order in the Letitia Peekaboo James case in New York, where Donald Trump is being accused of fraudulently overstating the value of his various real estate properties. And as I covered with the Trump deposition a couple of months back and in the lead up to this case, there is no case here. All of Trump's properties are now worth more than he had estimated them to be worth, which if you understand real estate means that they were worth more. He can't have defrauded the bank if those estimates with the passage of time proved to be underestimated. Trump also did not include the Trump brand in the collateral. And then most importantly, the document itself, the financial statements in question, which were filed for bank loans, the bank, by the way, having the duty to go assess the value of his properties on their own if they are worried about that for the loan, and they did not do it. And of course, all the money was repaid. The banks made a profit. But in those financial statements, at the front of the statement was a one and a half page long disclaimer stating that the values in these financial statements are only estimates from our perspective and cannot be seen as what these properties are actually worth when you do your assessment. Reuters noted on Friday, the judges fined Trump $15,000 for twice violating the gag order. The expanded gag order covers lawyers as well. After a member of Trump's legal team, Christopher Kyes, objected to the clerk passing notes to the judge during the trial. Defense lawyers in the case have made repeated objections about the working relationship between the judge and his clerk, including suggestions that she was biased. Trump has also accused her of bias, and that accusation is because she's a Democrat donor who has posted with glee on Instagram about meeting Chuck Schumer, posting a picture of herself with Chuck Schumer. Now, I mentioned the disclaimer clause a minute ago. This is the New York Post from yesterday. Donald Trump pulls out paper during testimony at NYC civil fraud trial, says it will clear his name. Donald Trump pulled a piece of paper out of his suit jacket during testimony in Manhattan court Monday, claiming it would completely clear his name in the $250 million civil fraud case against him and asked to show it to the judge. The former president was apparently requesting to show both the judge and a prosecutor a disclaimer clause from a financial statement on which New York Attorney General Letitia James has accused him of lying in her lawsuit. As he testified at trial in the suit, Trump held up the document and asked if the judge would, quote, like to have it. Later, the real estate tycoon said, I would love to read this, Your Honor, if I could. Am I allowed to do that? No, not at this point, replied Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron, who is deciding the non-jury case that threatens Trump's New York real estate empire. I'm shocked 
Trump responded. Now, as you've likely heard by now, Trump's testimony in that case got pretty testy at different points. It was quite dramatic. Trump said at one point, I think that the statements of financial conditions were very good, were actually somewhat conservative, and they were totally protected, and so am I, by the disclaimer clause. Trump noted that the judge had decided he was a fraud before the trial even began. He suggested that the fraud is on the court and not on him, that the fraud is created by Letitia James, and he called James a political hack. This clip of Trump lawyer Alina Haba was spread pretty wide on the internet yesterday, so if you've already heard it or seen it, this clip is about four and a half minutes long. Feel free to jump ahead if you don't want to hear it again. Those are her words. 
She said that she and Michael Cohen were going to be his biggest nightmare. Where well, I have some news for you, Miss James. Michael Cohen folded, lied, and crumbled. Your star witness, along with all the DAs and corrupt AGs, need to be paying attention to what happens when you let us take the stand. When you let my client speak the truth and the judge can tell me to sit down and he can try and shorten my client's testimony, but it is loud and clear. They've got nothing. They've got nothing but their politics. She's got nothing but her Soros backing, which we discovered recently. And I am sick and tired of seeing it. Pay attention, America. Pay attention. Because when you're in court one of these days and you don't have a lawyer that has a microphone and you don't have a lawyer that can go on TV and you've got judges gagging them, what are you gonna do? We need to fix this country. And we need to stop what is happening in this courtroom. President Trump is worth a lot more and she wasn't ready for it. She doesn't understand it. And before she rushed to judgment, she should have thought about attacking somebody with over 50 years of real estate expertise who changed single-handedly the skyline of New York City. She picked the wrong person and her politics will fail for it. The National Pulse covered some of this yesterday, noting that Trump pushed back against the prosecutors, questioning why the case ever moved forward when not one of his lenders claimed financial injury or harm. We're trying to figure out why are you doing this? The former president pondered in response to questioning by state attorney Kevin Wallace. No one understands it. Well, I understand it. It's called politics. At one point, Wallace pressed Trump as to whether he had actually paid off all of his loan agreements with lenders, asking, we've seen multiple loan agreements and your signature. You paid all these off? Trump fired back, yes, with cash. I think this case is a disgrace. People are leaving New York due to this kind of thing. The only complainant is you. Will Upton of the National Post writes, when Trump defended the value of his Aberdeen property, as it sits in the midst of one of the most oil-rich regions of Europe, Judge Angeron declared that location is irrelevant to the value of the property. In the most heated moment of the testimony, Judge Angeron demanded Trump's defense team step in and rein in the former president's lengthy responses. I beseech you to control him. If you can't, I will. I will excuse him and draw every negative inference. Trump attorney Alina Haba suggested the prosecution should instead ask better questions. It was at this moment that Angeron lost his cool and slammed his hand down on a table and shouted at Haba, sit down. Before the prosecution could continue with questioning, Trump responded to the heated exchange saying, this is a very unfair trial. And of course, all of this will supply reason to appeal in this case if the judge decides against Trump, as he almost definitely will. This is another one of those inverted cultural ideas where the decision from the court is correct and true when it goes against Donald Trump. It proves that Trump is guilty. The judge is what proves Trump's guilt. The judge can only decide Trump is guilty if Trump is actually guilty. And that's why we see outlets like MSNBC and all sorts of communists out there saying that Trump is actually guilty of sexually assaulting E. Jean Carroll because it was decided in a court case that it was more likely than not that he might have. If Angeron decides against Trump, that will prove Angeron's corruption, not that Trump defrauded the banks who profited off him. 
Trump posted this on Truth Social. I spent the whole day in Manhattan court. Compliments of my political opponent, crooked Joe Biden. Legal scholars agree that this is a case that should have never been brought. And it wouldn't have if I wasn't running and winning for president. MAGA. Trump also addressed cameras outside the courtroom. This is a sad, I think it's a very sad day for America. But anyway, this is a case that should have never been brought, and it's a case that should be immediately dismissed. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Trump, of course, is right. They would not be bringing any of these cases if Trump was not running for president again. If Trump had simply accepted the regime's narrative that he lost the election and had conceded and gotten himself out of politics, none of this would be happening, which is how you can know for certain that Trump is not just doing all of this to receive five and ten dollar donations from middle class and lower middle class Americans out there. He is not extorting the MAGA base. He is not subjecting himself to all of this and risking his life and his liberty to make small donations from MAGA supporters. He's doing this to help save America. And it seems to be working quite well. One of the biggest stories yesterday was the New York Times poll that was just released. And this headline from the Times, Trump leads in five critical states as voters blast Biden. Times Siena poll finds. President Biden is trailing Donald J. Trump in five of the six most important battleground states one year before the 2024 election, suffering from enormous doubts about his age and deep satisfaction over his handling of the economy and a host of other issues. The results show Mr. Biden losing to Mr. Trump, his likeliest Republican rival, by margins of four to ten percentage points among registered voters in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada and Pennsylvania. Mr. Biden is ahead only in Wisconsin by two percentage points, the poll found. Now, it's worth pointing out that all of this is crazy and that Trump already won all these states in 2020 and has only gotten stronger since then. But this is still very effective in the minds of standard issue villagers around the country who don't have any other way beyond polls of understanding that Donald Trump is far more popular than the television generally pretends. Naturally, of course, he is still dominating Ron DeSantis everywhere. Across the six battlegrounds, all of which Mr. Biden carried in 2020, the president trails by an average of 48 to 44 percent. Discontent pulsates throughout the New York Times Siena poll, with a majority of voters saying Mr. Biden's policies have personally hurt them. The survey also reveals the extent to which the multiracial and multigenerational coalition that elected Mr. Biden is fraying. Demographic groups that backed Mr. Biden by landslide margins in 2020 are now far more closely contested as two thirds of the electorate sees the country moving in the wrong direction. Voters under 30 favor Mr. Biden by only a single percentage point. His league among Hispanic voters is down to single digits and his advantage in urban areas is half of Mr. Trump's edge in rural regions. Black voters, long a bulwark for Democrats and for Mr. Biden, are now registering 22% support in these states for Mr. Trump, a level unseen in presidential politics for a Republican in modern times. Oh, Trump's so racist. 
And naturally, they go on to say that Trump and Biden are both very unpopular and Trump is only slightly less unpopular. They note that Biden still has a whole year to turn things around, and that's definitely going to happen. But they say, still, the survey shows how Mr. Biden begins the next year at a deficit, even though Mr. Trump has been indicted on criminal charges four times and faces trial in 2024. If the results in the poll are the same next November, Mr. Trump would be poised to win more than 300 electoral college votes, far above the 270 needed to take the White House. And the truth is he's going to win all of them and very likely past 400 in 2020. And if we didn't have stolen elections, everyone would already know that. But we do have stolen elections. And even today in Pennsylvania, there are reports of machines flipping votes. Citizen Free Press noted multiple polling places in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, have shut down voting machines that were flipping votes. If a voter cast a yes vote for one of the incumbents, but a no vote for the other, the votes come out flipped. And this is directly from the Northampton County Executive. This isn't just some conspiracy theorist saying it on social media. Not that those conspiracy theorists have ever been lying. We know how the machines work. We know the machines are wide open and vulnerable to manipulation and cannot produce a reliably accurate result. That has always been true. It has never been a conspiracy theory. The idea that the machines are good for anything has always been false. And now we're watching it play out again. These voters are being told they can fill out provisional ballots. Provisional ballots don't even have to be counted. We are off and running on another year of stolen elections in November. Now, the country's most prominent current election fraud denier, Ron DeSantis, has been pursuing a new strategy of going on MSNBC and CNN all the time, taking his fake centrist wannabe elite normie message to fake centrist wannabe elite normie audiences. Ron is now fully committed to winning the vote of the people who are wrong about everything and can't stop lying about our stolen elections, despite that they're now happening in broad daylight, wide open for the American public to see. Here is Meatball Ron from Thursday on MSNBC. And you did say, Governor, at that August debate, when the question was put to the entire panel, if Donald Trump is convicted, will you still, and he is the nominee, would you still support him? And you raised your hand. You're a lawyer. You've served in the Navy. You're well-trained at the greatest schools. Do you really believe that a man who's convicted of, say, attempting to overturn the 2020 election or taking nuclear secrets back to his beach club, do you actually still, as we sit here today, believe that person should be president? So I signed a pledge, uh, uh, Willie, and uh, that, that pledge is what it is. Now, do I think somebody under those circumstances could get elected president? The answer is no. Uh, that will not happen. Uh, I think that Republican voters uh, will understand that as, as we get closer to, to, to voting. Uh, but it is, it would be fatal uh, in a general election. And I don't think the party should, should nominate um, in that situation. However, uh, you know, I signed the pledge. I'm a Republican. I don't think it's going to come to that. Uh, and I think we'll be uh, we'll get the job done like we need to. Uh, but the reality is, is I signed it and that's what I did. So you stand by that this morning. 
Yeah, when I when I when I signed the pledge, um, you know, I knew you never know what's going to happen. It's a crazy process. Uh, people uh, make different decisions, and I think my point of view on it was, you know, I'm participating in this process. Uh, I've got the plan to win. Uh, we're going to win. At the same time, it's like you can't just take your ball and go home. Uh, you can't, on the one side of your mouth, say the country's in decline, Biden's failing, and on the other hand, say, you know, I'm just going to pout if things don't go my way. So that was kind of my rationale for for doing it. Now, that ridiculous little meatball is absolutely desperate and panicking, but that's about as bad an answer as you could ever possibly give. Ron DeSantis is hanging around in a primary where he is getting crushed, specifically hoping that Donald Trump will be convicted and potentially imprisoned and that that will convince the Republican Party to deny Donald Trump the nomination, even though he would be the winner of the primary process. There's no way that Ron DeSantis wins a Republican primary. But that doesn't mean they're not going to try to steal it from him and not try to create a justification for the GOP to give the nomination to someone else. The political parties are private organizations. They can ultimately make whatever decision they want. They have their own rules and bylaws, but they don't have to do what the voters tell them they want to do. The DeSantis campaign and all of its absolutely atrocious comms team are basically disseminating the Democrat Party message at this point. The Uniparty left's message is being disseminated by the Uniparty right. They are agreeing with these overt communists that the president, Donald Trump, must be convicted and imprisoned so that he will not be president again. That is what they're saying. If these illegitimate and obviously biased courts in this two-tiered system of justice are able somehow to convict Donald Trump, that should override what the voters in the Republican primary process want on the basis that Donald Trump would then lose in a general election, despite the fact that he is already dominant in the polls, that the public is coming around to supporting Donald Trump, and that he already won in 2020, which of course Ron must deny. They can't exactly go and say that our elections are stolen if they're about to try to steal one on Ron's behalf. He would need to then come out and say, no, our elections are just fine. My win is legitimate. They've been arguing that Ron is the big winner now for a year since last year's midterms. And they're going to keep arguing that after today's elections, even though we already know that machine manipulation is in process. They are going to publicly support the election system once again. And then they will say, of course, that Glenn Youngkin style GOP establishment elite style politics are what the country really wants. They don't want Trump and all the distractions. They want someone who can just be a good, moderate Republican because we're basically a 50 50 country. But people see that the Democrats have overreached. We're going to hear all that narrative and we're going to see a big night for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Oh, the Republicans, they're going to gain ground in this formerly blue state, which was 
formerly purple and formerly red. Now it is back in the red column because Glenn Youngkin style Republicanism is exactly what they want. A good, serious sort of candidate who gets the job done without really annoying anybody or causing too much of a stir. You can basically elect someone like Glenn Youngkin and then expect him to do things. You don't even have to watch him as he does them. In fact, if you don't watch him, he'll seem even better. So don't watch him. Then we can just all go back to normal. And hey, we get it. Ron DeSantis, he went out there and tried to be the Donald Trump version of Trump light. And nobody wants that. They might as well just get the real thing. What they want is the Mitt Romney version of Trump light. And Glenn Youngkin, he's not going to leave Virginia and spend all his time sucking up to rhino governors like Kim Reynolds in Iowa and Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. He's going to stay in Virginia and get the job done. He's going to focus on business because that's what people really want out of a Republican candidate. They don't want a different watered down version of Donald Trump. They don't want anything to do with Trump at all. They want a serious guy who will get the job done without annoying them. And you can expect to see a big media push for Glenn beginning tonight, probably an exact replay of what we heard from the media in the wake of the midterms last year, where Ron won and Brian Kemp won and Greg Abbott won. We are told Oh, these establishment Republican governors are so popular. This is the style of conservatism we need. It's not that Donald Trump MAGA stuff. It's these guys who say that our election systems are just fine. In fact, that's why they won by so much. They fixed the elections in their states. That's what we were told in Florida with Ron. Ron has done basically nothing to expose stolen elections. You can't just fix elections and say they're fixed without exposing what the election system in your state was. We can't have these politicians that just say, oh, we put these common sense election integrity measures in place and it made a big difference. Look, Republicans have won. The uniparty right won over the uniparty left. Isn't that what we've always wanted? They need to make a plausible case why someone other than Trump could win. They need someone in there they can rig and steal the primaries for who will make sense to voters. The media will give them a story and they will be like, "Okay, yeah, I guess that sounds right. Ron is cooked. There is no way anybody is going to believe that Ron would win. Ron could not come in second. There is no way that Ron is getting MAGA votes. It is not possible. If Donald Trump vanished from the face of the earth, Ron still would not be the choice. And people are beginning to understand that. So maybe it's Glenn and Glenn could just run as a sensible backup opportunity in case Trump does get convicted and can't win the nomination. And then they'll just rig and steal some elections for Glenn. Those early primary states, Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, those two states where the governors are supporting Ron DeSantis. Then who knows? Maybe they call on a favor in South Carolina and Jim Clyburn fires up that old fraud machine. You knock down a few in a row for Glenn and you say to the people, well, it seems that the American voters don't think that Donald Trump is a realistic candidate to take on President Joe Biden this fall. Now that he's been convicted on some of these 91 indictments with more court cases still to come. That's the sort of thing we will hear. 
And at that point, if Glenn Youngkin still looks like this strong Republican candidate who the establishment approves of, but hasn't gone after MAGA as part of the hate movement, well, then maybe you got a sale with Glenn Youngkin and they're right back in business. And I think that may be what we eventually see happen. We shall see. But Ron DeSantis now has both of those early primary governors on board. Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, who he was campaigning with just a week or so ago, and Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa, who has now endorsed Ron. They also went and appeared on NBC News so that Kim Reynolds could say that Donald Trump went and begged her for her endorsement, basically reprising what Donald Trump says about Ron DeSantis. Trump responded to all of this, attaching a post from Morning Consult, the polling company, that says Governor Kim Reynolds is America's most unpopular governor, with a 47% disapproval rating up from 39% in the first quarter of 2023. And who knows, maybe that just might be meatball rubbing off on her. Trump writes, that's because people don't like disloyalty. I opened the position for Reynolds, so she became governor of Iowa by moving Terry Branstad to China as ambassador. I then helped her when she was substantially down and losing to the Democrat candidate and worked hard to get her elected, including an endorsement and big Trump rallies. Very importantly, I was the sole reason that Iowa remained first in the nation. I was strong on ethanol. DeSantis voted against it and other things bad for Iowa like wanting to destroy Social Security and Medicare. Despite all of this, Reynolds remained neutral on endorsements, and she is now America's most unpopular governor, and Ron DeSanctimonious is second. That's what happens when you are disloyal to those that got you there. And it is this sort of thing that makes the regime want that censorship so much. If people are allowed to talk, if Donald Trump is allowed to directly address the nation, their whole system breaks down and doesn't work because Donald Trump is not only the leader of the Republican Party and the leader of the free world. He is also the leader of the awakening and the regime is caught in that catch 22. If I am right about Elon Musk and X, formerly Twitter, and XAI, this grok chatbot, becomes an aid to that awakening process, then these people are toast. And nothing in the world can stop that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range
It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!